Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast. Today, I have on Dave Vernier. Dave was a physics teacher back in the day, and he saw a lot of need uh, for supplies and sensors and all these kind of things in science class. And uh, he goes back quite a ways. And, and, and so he, he started to take a look at some of the, the market demands, and he did something about it. So he and his wife launched Vernier, and he sits right there at the apex of entrepreneurialism and education. So his insights were incredible. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, but he also just continues to have passion and drive to this day. I think you'll really pick up on his passion and, and drive in this interview. Uh, I also want to thank uh, his team there. I'd met him back back at FETC a few months back and just took us a while to connect. So I'm certainly glad that we finally got the chance to do that. All right, let's jump right into it. Dave Vernier. All right, now I am joined with Dave Vernier. Dave, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, hi, good to be here. So you, uh, we talked about this pre-show, you kind of sit right at the um, apex. A lot of times we have on entrepreneurs on the show. A lot of times we talk to educators. You are and have been both. Um, and so before we get into what your company does, let's, let's give some context here. You, you were a high school science teacher back in the day, correct? Right. Long time, 12, 12 years. And then that happened to be just when computers were becoming available to normal people. And so I started fooling around with computers. Yeah. That's, that's how it all started. And by it all started, what, what, what Our opportunities company, we, did you see? I started writing computer programs to help my physics teaching. And it was immediately obvious that they helped me tremendously in so many ways, but uh, things like uh, getting the kids to produce graphs more quickly and displaying data on a computer screen as you were taking measurements for demonstrations, for example, or taking data quickly and faster than you could do it with a stopwatch or with a, you know, writing numbers down uh, or, or taking data over a long period of time, which is boring unless you have a computer helping you do it. Things like that. And then simulations uh, some of uh, things we couldn't do in a real lab, like uh, launching satellites. Remember, we were we had put people on the moon not too uh, long before I started doing this stuff. And uh, that kind of stuff. So computers were a tremendous help to me, and the company was just an accident that came out of that. Yeah, and so obviously you were kind of taking a look at these opportunities, and, and I, that's why I love. I mean, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that the vast majority, they see an opportunity because there's a need, um, whether that's social entrepreneurialism or just, you know, fulfilling a need for a T-shirt and a slogan. Uh, you, you saw some things that, um, that other people didn't, although I will say, obviously, when you said you started really pretty early, right when computers started to get uh, more mass adopted in school. Um, when did you think that you would, I mean, like, did, did you have an idea that you would scale up this big or, you know, what was the first thought of you? Total, total accident, total, uh, I mean, literally we, we, I started fooling around with the computers and wrote lots of programs for my own class. In the summer of 81, Oregon was in a terrible recession, and um, my wife's working. We don't have any kids. I'm going to go get a job for the summer. Well, the economy was so bad, I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a job doing anything. Uh, so I said, heck with that. I'm going to 
I'll spend the summer working on these programs and worst case scenario, we'll have better programs for my students the next year, but who knows, maybe we can even sell some of the things. Yeah. So that's how the company started. And, and, and then we actually sold some and, and I was still teaching and I'd work on it every weekend and every night. And gradually we said, you know, this is actually working. We're actually selling some. And so we decided we better have somebody home to answer the phone. Cause remember this is pre-internet people either mailed orders in or they'd call if they want to order something. Well, there's no one to answer our phone. What kind of business is that? (laughs) My wife actually agreed to quit her job and be the first real employee. She did that for a couple of years. And then I took a leave of absence from teaching and she went and worked Nike to pay the rent. And after a few years, both of us were able to be full time. So, oh, I love that. And obviously they're in Portland. Yes. 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 Beaverton is where the office is now, but yeah, Portland. Okay. So uh, again, your uh, journey, and I, I love that, that you had to start off with your most loyal employee, your wife. Yeah. Um, so you started off in the early, early days of software and now you guys are working on, uh, you know, some really interesting things and trying to you know, uh, work with national organizations like uh, ISD and ASCT and everything like that. Um, what are some of the new things that you're looking into and, and what kind of like opportunities do you see out there? Like I, I see you guys are working with, uh, uh, probeware, um, you know, d- you know, diving into data and, and gaining some well, insights. Essentially oh, yeah. we've done sensors and taking data in the classroom essentially helping you do hands-on labs. That's what the company's been about for 39 years. So um, we're trying to help the teachers do real labs and the way scientists do labs these days, you, it, the computer helps you, the computer takes the data, helps you graph, it helps you analyze, it looks for patterns, stuff like that. So we're that's what we're all about. And of course the platforms change, but you could argue we're doing the same exact thing right now we did 39 years ago with Apple IIs, but now we're doing it with Chromebooks and iPads and iPhones and Androids and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so to the average, I should have taken two steps back. Tell me all that, you know, Veneer, like from a complete novice standpoint, what is Veneer doing? What are they supplying even on down from your educator training? Basically, our, our number one product is a line of sensors, several lines of sensors, uh, for for taking data from, well, there's probably in the order of 100 different kinds of sensors. Uh, both, there's a collection of wired ones that plug into what we call lab interfaces, which little boxes that sit next to a computer, and that typically plugged into the computer by USB. And then we write software that graphs the readings of those sensors and does the analysis and graphing. Uh, for those and that was around we've not been doing that for 39 years but nowadays we've also got a line we call the, the gdx or go direct sensors which are they're connect they can connect by bluetooth or by usb if you have a usb port uh, so they work with things like chromebooks they work with things like ipads and they do the same basic idea that is they collect data and graph it and analyze it but you're doing it on these other platforms and with no wire. Yeah. 
So it's all about collecting data and our number one product as far as producing revenue is the sensors because in this world today, we mostly give away software, which is that uh, makes it tough. I'm trying to wrap my head around. You said we've been doing this for 39 years. What, <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen some interesting advancements. What did sensors look like 39 years ago? And well, what are some the old, of the eye-popping old, changes? Well, the old, old days where it was, it was the very oldest thing was I would, there was an Apple II had a game port, which was a connector meant totally for things like, paddles and games like pong games and stuff like that but you could trick that into taking a sensor reading so you could you could put something that changed in resistance like a temperature changing a, a sense a resistor that changes the temperature called a thermistor and then you could be tricky and you could make that read temperature that's just an example so that's the kind of thing we did in very early days and then the uh, same thing with light. You could have a, a sensor a resistor that changed resistance with light, called a phototransistor kind of thing, or a photoresistor. And um, then you could write software and you could calibrate and you could have the program graph light level and you could do experiments or temperature experiments. Now, in the very, very early days, we didn't even build these things. We just wrote plans for the people to, to build them, schematics and photos and stuff. Uh, and we'd say, go to Radio Shack and buy this, this, and this, and solder this to this, and this to this, and, and use this program, and there you go. And then gradually, we got into selling a bag of parts with the same stuff in it, and they get had the instructions, but the teacher still assembled it. And gradually, people kept saying, hey, why don't you build these things? And we'd say, well, we're busy. And they'd say, well, I'm busy. So finally, uh, we said, well, okay, we'll build them for you. And then we got into building sensors, and nowadays we, of course, make most of the sensors. In fact, we make them by the tens of thousands and uh, sell sensors, everything from temperature to UV level to heart rate to EKG to grip strength. Uh, wow, chemistry. grip strength. Everything. Just you name it, we pretty much can measure it. Anything you want to measure in a science classroom, we want to have a way for it to measure it and graph it and stuff like that. Wow. Uh, okay. So, obviously, your your main, if not, well, I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't assume, high school, middle school science labs are your biggest customer, correct? Uh, the biggest is high school. and Early college is good, too. Middle school, some, and we've, we've got some stuff for elementary, too. But I'd say high school first, introductory college teaching second, middle school third, and, and uh, elementary, we think, is great potential. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I, I, with, no, I didn't know if there's any other, like, seeing that you guys have so many sensors out there, I didn't know, you know, if there's other people that are interested that are in non-education sectors. You know, we don't pursue it. Uh, I've said a million times, if times get tough and you know, this might be it, uh, we would do something else. Uh, like, I mean, the sensors are great. They're cheap and they're, um, they work well. And we've had to work really hard to make the software easy to use. So it would be a natural transition for us to do things that use sensors like we make, like the classic ones that we think about are aquarium monitoring, 
and beer making and wine making, which would all be great fun. We just haven't done it because we know education best. And uh, we really resist selling to people for other uses. Yeah. But like I say, if times get tough, who knows what will happen. Well, and I think that's the other thing that is interesting to talking to a lot of entrepreneurs and, and people that um, are self-employed is that there is a lot of unknowns out there right now. Uh, obviously what's on top of a lot of educators mind is, is, is there going to be a new normal and is there going to be, um, more blended learning? Have you guys thought about like, what would it be if you guys were to send sensors out and individual kits to students and, and, and like, what would the difficulty of that be? And that's a boy, that's a mess. Yeah. We, we're very much looking into stuff like that. We, we, we think it's gotta, for us, selling an, one sensor to one parent probably doesn't work. Uh, it's just, you know, because the sensors are inexpensive and, you know, are we going to get paid and shipping problems and delivery problems? I think for us, we would probably hope for something more along the lines that the teacher gets a bunch of sensors and handles uh, some kind of library-like system. The distribution, yeah. I heard an interesting story the other day uh, from a teacher who called. I still talk to teachers every day. Um, his school shut down like all schools. It was a, a rural school in Minnesota. And he found out that the, uh, the school was sending a school bus around delivering lunches because these are poor kids and yep. providing the lunches. And somebody came up with the idea, heck, if the school bus is going around, it could take stuff to the kids. And so he's sending sensors on the school bus and the kids pick them up, use wow. them for a few days and then send them back. I mean, that kind of model would be fascinating to me. We've got one university that's using, uh, a, it's a combination sensor and a cart that we sell. It's really pretty great. Uh, but they, it's an online physics course for college and they, uh, they actually have the students buy this cart which for the record costs way less than a textbook. Um, and then they can use it for do all these labs in their dorm or in their house. And then when the quarter's over, the kid has the option of selling it back to the bookstore, just like a used textbook. And then we'll refurbish those and sell them that way. Well, that model could catch on. We love that. Yeah. Well, it, those are some of the cool ideas and, and, Boy, I, I think I can transition to that. I, I think the amount of change we're probably going to see, I mean, disruption is everywhere, except I, I will have to say uh, it, it's been kind of frustrating is that, you know, I think about how in the software terms or even, phone, you know, cell phone terms, one to two years is a life expectancy, then you constantly upgrade and you constantly want to overhaul and see what, the, you know, get the customer feedback, what do they like, what they don't like. Education doesn't do that. And, and there is something to be said about resiliency. I, I, I that is absolutely true. And it drives us crazy because uh, we know that. And, and, but the people who jump into education and think they know what they're doing uh, tend to put out a product and about six months later change it and expect teachers to buy a new one. And it just does not work. And so we literally fix stuff that's 10 years old We've got, I've, I talk to teachers using 15-year-old stuff. It's, it's just amazing. 
Well, and I, I will say, you know, I was talking to a person that had worked um, with the Pentagon and he says, you know, there, there's something to be said about resiliency, that processes in place take time uh, and they can adjust to a lot of things within certain parameters. Innovation, however, and obviously this is this is the juxtaposition of it, like when you want to change willy-nilly, you're affecting a lot of lives. That being said, you know, I, I think that a lot of innovators out there are trying to work within a system that is very hard to change. But at the same time, like, when is that, if you don't take any risk, you're taking a huge risk kind of thing. I, I mean, like, I've seen some schools, like charter schools, take some massive changes. And maybe that was a bit much because, you know, people can argue like, hey, that child that went to that school that was taking those experiments, they lost a year of blank. But, you know, at some point, some of these risk takers and wanting to do things differently um, I need to lead the way and then give feedback and show what they're doing. Yeah. So, ha- go ahead. Well, there's another factor in this, and that's the incredible inequality of wealth. I mean, we've got schools that they might want to innovate, but they can't possibly do it. and They can't afford to do any change. They can't afford to buy any new equipment. And so... It's not just that they don't want to change, it's just that they can't afford to, which is fine too. And we're glad that we can continue to support them. But uh, it's amazing difference. We have have schools that are, you know, throwing out their Chromebooks from two years ago because they're old and other schools that are using, you know, 10 year old PCs or 10 year old Macs or 20 year old Macs sometimes. Well, and I, I think that's really the, the other end of that spectrum is what you're talking about. So you, you've got, I see more movement on the middle than I do the poor school. And then the school, what I will say is that the ones that have tradition, a lot of times they're preparatory schools and they don't want to change because status quo is just fine. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And then schools like what you're talking about, they're working on 20 year old computers and that is a tough tough thing to do. I, I think that this COVID-19 thing has been a really eye-opening experience of this talk like, well, we should just transition to online and make more blended learning. Well, that's great if all of your students have access. Yep. And that's not the case. Right. So it's, the world is not very fair. Right. So I, I, I think that it's interesting that like what you were talking about earlier, um, things that I didn't think about, you know, if there's going to be a school bus doing the routes, passing out food, might there be an opportunity to be distribution for technology and labs and things of this nature? Because, you know, if a, people I thought were a little bit out there um, <laughs> looking back on February, some of the, I was then calling them doomsdayers, were pretty accurate. And now that they're saying, hey, and I, boy, again, hope that this is wrong, but this, this could rear its ugly head in phase two later on when the school year starts and a lot of people are not a lot of people some of these people are saying you know october november boy this all starts again and now i don't think that there's any excuse for people to say well we were caught flat-footed no one saw this coming there's there's people can read the tea leaves it it, it could again hopefully it's not so um which by the way and this is a crazy question um you said uh you know, we have sensors, anything can be measured, we measure. Uh, any 
themes uh, along the lines of rising temperatures and bodies and reporting and or is that starting to get weird big brothers watching kind of thing we used to sell an infrared we do sell an infrared uh camera that that measures temperature but we we never pretended to do medical stuff we we would do it just as a teaching kids about uh, body temperatures but um yeah, I guess it's a possibility. We we don't want to go in the medical area. First of all, I, yeah. issues and stuff. But absolutely, uh, there's lots of people doing that. Do not blame you in any way, shape, or form on that. And we got to do what we know best. We love teaching kids the concepts of, you know, yeah. heart rate and blood pressure and EKGs, but we don't pretend to do it from a medical point of view. It's just so they know what an EKG is and. They know what your heart rate should do and you, you know, why it's important and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, one last thing. I, I, I try to get um, my students and then I run a cohort uh, with students uh, that, that had won a, a pitch competition. And I really like to get them to think about not just their business idea, but how and kind of that icky guy sort of Venn diagram, you know, what are your interests and what are your passions and it, could it possibly be infused in your work? Um, I, I just love getting people to think I can make a living off something I'm good at, but it's something I want to do and something I have skill in. Um, I'm 73 years old and I've been doing programming this morning because I like doing it. Right. And I've got some new ideas for products here. <laughs> well, yeah. So no, I, I love you. I have passion. I've seen a couple pictures of you floating around here and there. And oftentimes it's with a guitar. Uh, yeah, I, I actually did that this morning too. Not very good, <laughs> but I enjoy doing it. Yeah, I was just going to ask: Have you ever infused your love of music for the sensors or or in your work? Oh, you know, I, I, there's a you know tremendous connection between physics and music, and yeah, but uh, lots of people write that up, and you know, ratios and mathematics. There's like some great stuff. Uh, Nearest thing is we have in our physics book a thing about the the ratios of the you know the notes of a, a scale and the ratios between the root and the fifth and all that stuff. But we haven't done much. Yeah. Well, no, I just, I just love the fact that uh, like you're saying you have a passion and it's so important. I'm trying to impress that on par on on the students that uh, you know golden handcuffs for a lot of people is real. You know they go in and. A lot of times they're just following instructions. My dad says I should go into this because it's good money. And yeah. when you don't necessarily like what you do, don't do it. <laughs> Especially at this age, if you can figure that out. And if, yeah. and if you have a talent, I mean, and, and my gosh, I'm sitting here saying this right now. I feel terrible that a lot of people are out of work or the work that they do, even though they don't like it, they feel blessed to have it. But at your young age, I'm trying to convince people, students, you, you might as well start at least pondering. If I could make a living off doing something I love, what is it? And boy, a lot of students are like, I don't know what I love. So thus that journey begins. My other advice to kids and is that whether you like technology or not, it's a big part of your life. I, I comment all the time that we have 117 people at our office and there's not a single one who doesn't use technology. And I include the guys who take care of the building. Uh, you know, the people who pack stuff in boxes, the people who test stuff. Uh, so it's, I'm not saying everybody needs to get totally into technology, but you just bite into the fact that you have got to learn computers at some level or you yeah. won't have a job. 
And uh, it's almost like the more you can get into technology, the more likely you are to make a lot of money. And but now, you know, at least give it a try. So I'm saying not everybody's going to become a computer programmer. Not everybody's going to become a computer graphics person, but at least give that a shot because it's pretty clear that that's where the, you know, good jobs are going to be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dave, I have appreciated our conversation today. I, I, I love your perspective as a classroom teacher, seeing opportunity turned business owner, turned all, uh, hiring your wife and making scaling it and, and growing it and uh, keep following that passion. So I sincerely appreciate you being on. Okay. Uh, best website they can find you or? Uh, Bernier.com. Bernier.com. B-E-R-N-I-E-R. 